Welcome to episode 49, Helping Clients Navigate the Gig Economy, The Basics Clinicians Need to Know by Dr. Chaz Austin. From Clearly Clinical, learn, grow, shine. I'm Dr. Chaz Austin. My business card says career packaging and marketing. What I do is I train people to self-market. I'm here with my colleague, Beth, who is a licensed therapist. And we're going to talk about careers and specifically how clinicians can support their clients. I'm going to use the word therapist a lot during the conversation, but it's applicable for uh, and appropriate for psychologists, therapists, and drug counselors, anyone who works with people who may need career support. Thank you, Dr. Austin, for your time. Uh, tell me a little bit more about your background. How did you come to do what you're doing? I've been a college professor for about 15 years, uh, specializing in business and communication courses. And I found in the time I did this work that there was a something missing, there was a gap, that we weren't preparing students for the real world. They were learning theory, they were learning communication skills, they were learning critical thinking skills, but they weren't prepared to either find a job or in some cases even know what it is they wanted to do after they got their degree. And I started to fill that in. And what I've been doing for about the last 12 years is teaching courses on career training, and I've also authored two books, and I have three courses on how to find, keep, and leave a job on uh, linkedinlearning.com. So for you, this is really kind of a, a passion project to help people find employment that's really going to work for them. This has become my life's work because there's such a... What word can I use? We've so shortchanged people in the educational system where we've not prepared them to take on active roles in the workplace and make a living doing something that they either enjoy or have a passion for or love. Um, And so this is something that I am always spreading the word about and evangelizing for all over the world. I have clients all over the world I work with. uh, I teach this. And I get a great deal of referrals from therapists. So tell me about that. How did you come to kind of uh, find the marriage between job coaching and behavioral health treatment? How did that happen? I have worked in the recovery community. And how that began was recovery centers work with their clients. And unfortunately, they saw a need, there was something missing for them where they were helping their clients get into recovery, but they would fall back into addiction. And I have personally worked with 20 year olds who've been in recovery 20 times. And the, um, the recovery centers came to me and said, look, this isn't working. We need to get them out of here. We need to have them find work and we need to have them have productive lives. And so many of the patients, so many of the clients really saw it as, well, I'm recovered now, I'm done. So what I created was a program called Beyond Recovery, that you need to look at a, another plateau, another horizon beyond 
recovery that we need to work with and find and figure out what specific things you offer in the workplace and then design your resume and all your marketing materials such that you could find work that you were proud of and have a reason to live beyond I'm sober, that that wasn't enough. So I've been doing this for about four or five years and getting a lot of referrals from therapists, from counselors. So really for you, it's about kind of a holistic approach um, and going from the ground up to make sure that people have what they need uh, to motivate recovery, not just to focus on the sobriety, but to make sure that they have kind of a, a, a whole person perspective that's being addressed, including their occupational success. Yes, exactly. And there's a, there's a line, for me, a very thick line between being a therapist and being a career trainer, which is what I do. I don't go over to the therapist side. I'm not trained to do this. And the reason that so many therapists have worked with me and I continue to get referrals is that they say, we're not trained to help them find a job or help them forge a career. That's your specialty. We, so it's, a, it's clearly demarked, demarcated um, that uh, the therapists handle the deep stuff and I handle the marketing stuff. Speaking as a therapist, it's not something that we're trained in. And I know for most of us, we want to be really mindful about making sure that we stay in our lane, but we still want to know how to help because we see this. We see um, adolescents, even all the way up through older adults that are trying to find employment and not necessarily knowing how to support them. It's just with all the things that we're trained in, that's not one of them. and, And that's what people like you are for so that we can refer out to an expert. Um, so one of the things that you've talked about before is something called the gig economy. Tell me about that. Unfortunately, and not just people who are referred by therapists, but pretty much everyone was blindsided by this radical change in the workforce. Um, basically due to the fact that companies now focus on quarterly profits and bonuses for their C-level executives. The concept that we've lived with for decades of finding a job and moving up the corporate ladder and then getting to retire with a pension and, a, and a healthcare and so on, that's going away. So in many cases, workers are becoming a liability uh, rather than an asset to companies. Because if I'm the CEO of a company and my bonus increases partially because I cut expenses, my biggest expense is labor. And if I can find a way to replace you as good as you might be with someone who works in another country more cheaply, with a robot, with hiring you uh, not as an employee, but as a contract worker, I'm going to do that. I make more money. It's, it's very selfish and one has to be prepared for that. Unfortunately, what happened was that we're still living in the past, in the 21st century. We're getting an education, having a resume, getting prepared to interview, knowing how to dress and so on. It's insufficient. You need all those things. But the focus needs to change from finding a job to finding work. So tell me about the distinction between those, those and how you approach that with your clients. You need to think of yourself essentially as a freelancer. And I speak to everyone. At, I've worked with people from the ages of 14 to 80 
um, in the courses I've taught, in the individual counseling I give, both in person and, and worldwide, you have to think in terms of not you, not just that you're a freelancer, but essentially you're a business and you're selling a series of skills and connections and accomplishments to employers, to clients. And this is something you can uh, do forever, um, whatever field you're in. So what I teach is universal and it's something that it's a skill that you need to learn that none of us were prepared for. You're in sales. And that's the bad news. Everyone's in sales. Whatever you do, you're selling. So you have to, number one, determine what your brand is. Your brand is like Coca-Cola or Apple or IBM or AT&T. And then learn to articulate it. And the third part is know how to sell it and learn to do that. And the caveat always is you're probably not going to like it. Most people hate it. But this is the way to survive and thrive in the 21st century in the gig economy, where it's becoming more and more freelancing. They say by 2024, um, I believe it is over 50% of the workforce is going to be freelancers. So like it or not, and you probably won't, um, get on board the train or get run over. It's that simple. You have to adapt in order to keep working. The, the upside of it is you'll never get fired again. You always have revenue coming in from various sources based on your skill set. And you can be proud. I have specific things. This is what I work with my clients on. I have specific things I can offer that people will pay for. And I can be proud of that. So this shift, you're taking what we used to think of a, of a work model, which was graduate high school, go to college, get a degree, find a job, and then you're there for potentially forever. Um, now we're moving into a world where it's more about kind of diversifying your work portfolio so that you can survive. Um, how have you seen this come up in your work in relation to confidence and self-esteem? At first, honestly, for pretty much everyone I've ever worked with, it's very upsetting. The old formula does not work. Oh my, I have all this education. I have student debt. I've got not just a bachelor's degree, but a master's degree and maybe even a PhD. And I can't find work. And you're telling me all the things I did that used to work don't work anymore. That's not enough. So the first part is I have one of the courses I teach is a two day course. And the first day is upsetting. And the second day, we create a new strategy and it opens things up. And I've had students tell me uh, in blind surveys, you blew my mind. This is, you gave me hope. This is something I never would have expected before, certainly not after the first day. So at first it's a downer and then it's like, oh, it's a whole new world. I have to develop a new skill set, which is knowing how to sell my brand, figuring out what that is and knowing how to sell it. But I can always find work now. And if I improve my skill set and I'm cognizant of changes in my industry, I learn more, I get another certificate, another degree, whatever. I'm always making money. I'm never unemployed and I'm doing work that I'm good at that people will pay for. Now, this break from the way things used to be, it sounds like it's demanding a lot more deliberate action from therapy clients, from people in general, but particularly from therapy clients. Um, how do you work alongside therapy clients or therapists to support maybe getting back into the workforce or finding jo a job or jobs that are more satisfying? Therapists hit a wall 
with their patients. They, they get them to a certain point and now the patient needs to get a job. It's an analogy would be if, if you, you were working with a patient or a therapist was working with a patient, the patient had trouble sitting in the chair and it was discovered that the patient has back problems. The therapist isn't trained to deal with the back problems. So, so the therapist would send them to an orthopedic surgeon or a chiropractor to adjust the back problems so they could sit back in the chair and do the therapy. That's kind of what I do in terms of career. So they'll, uh, kind of sub the work out to me. My patients reach the point they're doing fine, but now they need work. And I help them with that. Um, and then they do find work. They go, they continue the therapy, obviously, but now they're working. They go back into therapy with a sense of confidence they didn't have before, that I have, I have worth. And I know specifically what it is I offer, and people will pay for that. And I feel great because this is work I really enjoy doing. And it's making an impact on other people. So the emphasis is less on the patient and more on the people they can help. And they feel a sense of renewal and a sense, a, a better sense of themselves as people who are deserving and who other people respond to positively. When it comes to supporting people who are in behavioral health treatment already and are working alongside therapists, what do you find clients your clients have told you like what they've heard from others in, in with regard to finding a job like basically what's the bad advice that they've been given well unfortunately and i don't just find this with through the through the clients i have from that are referred from therapists but i find this everywhere we're still training people for the 20th century we're still training them for skills that are no longer so important um there's way too much focus on resumes um, generally, resume is not going to get you a job anymore. Um, there's way too much focus on formal interviews and people kicking themselves about, oh, I should have said this, I shouldn't have said that, I thought I did well, they haven't called me back, what's wrong with me? So there's a lot of shame. And again, this is not just uh, people referred from therapists, this is everyone. There's a sense of shame. I've always been able to get a job. Now I can't even get an interview. What's wrong with me? And I have to tell them there's nothing wrong with you. They've changed the rules. No one told you. That's my job is to tell you they've changed the rules, what the new rules are, and how to navigate the gig economy. And then, oh, now I see, okay, I don't like it. I don't expect you're going to like having to sell yourself, but this is how you make it in the gig economy, in the modern workforce. In a lot of ways, it sounds like a paradigm shift. Absolutely is. Absolutely. The, the analogy I use, it's a football analogy. They move the goalposts and no one told you. You've been kicking the ball the same way you've always kicked. It's always gone for three points, three points, point after touchdown, and now it's not even reaching it. What? I'm doing something wrong. No, you're not doing anything wrong. They move the goalposts. Oh, now I see. Okay, now I can help you. And together, we will create what your brand is and figure out who you sell it to. And you can always find work, whatever you do. You mentioned that it doesn't depend on a resume as much or even necessarily on an interview. Uh, can you speak more about that? Yes. How you find work is through relationships. <laughs> which is true for therapy too. I mean, it's all, it's all about relationships and collaboration. So part of the third part of the, uh, the setup, which is how you define and 
articulate and sell a brand. The third part, the sell part, how you do that is number one, through your tribes, through tribes or people you have something in common with. That can be ethnic, it can be uh, geographical, you went to the same school, you're both members of the same bike club. These are people you have something in common with who would be receptive to helping you if they knew what you were looking for. So once you define the brand and have a, well, I, this is what I want to do. I want to be, um, let's say, a financial advisor. And I'm going to start telling people that, oh, I didn't know you wanted to do that. I've really enjoyed hiking with you. Um, my sister-in-law, um, she works at Merrill Lynch. Would you like to meet her? The emphasis needs to be on forging relationships. The work will come, whether it's part-time work, full-time work, a job, a client, um, a gig, whatever it happens to be. It's through the people you meet. The resume follows that. People hire who they know and trust. They don't hire off resumes anymore or as much as they used to. Um, they're pieces of paper from strangers. And, and this is human nature to go with people you already know who have your back, who you can work with, who will fit in the team. So it's, it's developing relationships with people. It's also joining associations in your field and meeting people and volunteering and having a chance to spend time with them. And you're essentially auditioning. They get to see how good you are, how smart you are, how passionate you are, that you have good work habits. And when they have an opening, whatever it happens to be at their firm, they'll say, you know what, I don't want to go nationwide with this. I don't want to post it. And they say 80% of jobs aren't posted. Um, I like your style. I, I've enjoyed working with you on the dinner committee at our association. Would you be interested in coming to work with us um, in some capacity? That's how you find work. And over and over again in every environment I've worked in, this works. It happens, they get work. And, and people are amazed. The results we're getting recently as we keep improving things, it's just astounding. This works. I don't like doing it. I understand that. But this is how you find work. And if I keep doing this, I can always find work. It sounds like that's an extension of, of what you briefly touched on, which was this idea of people basically becoming their own brand. So if we're approaching almost all interactions we're having... And if we're supporting our, our clients as therapists and understanding that their relationships will be the foundation for their next employment opportunities, um, this branding piece is really critical. Tell me more about how therapists might be able to support their clients in uncovering these skills, identifying these skills that are particularly important for occupational success. I hate to say send them to me, but it is kind of that because a therapist is not going to know how to do this. Traditional career counselors who are trained in this don't quite know how to do this. This is unfortunately a radical approach, um, but it's in response to this is the way it works now. This is, this is the playing field. These are the new rules. So I've been a little ahead of the game for a number of years and still am, unfortunately. Um, so I, I would perhaps work with a therapist on the phone to maybe help them introduce the concept um, and have a patient or a client who's now looking uh, very confused 
<laughs> because I, I'm a what? I'm a brand? I have what? I have a guy. <laughs> okay, let me just introduce this to you. He's had amazing success with people. Um, and we work in tandem. And he will help you on the career part. Just like your bad back, the orthopedic surgeon will help you on that part. Um, that will help our, our work in our therapy together. So I, I have to say that's probably the way to do it. So it's a matter of, it sounds like supporting clients and finding the right resources. So people, so you or people like you that are kind of aware of this phenomenon that's happening in the U.S. economy and that we need to be more focused on individual branding and, and skill identification than sending out blind resumes via, via career.com or another website. Um, one of the things that I can see from a therapist perspective is how a behavioral health disorder like anxiety or depression would really butt up against what what you're talking about, which is kind of stepping outside of a comfort zone and um, breaking the mold, asking for referrals, asking for business. When we're talking about people that may have paralyzing anxiety, talking to somebody at the grocery store, how do you support people in your role with that kind of challenge? Good question. Uh there's one word that describes this because, and, and the word is contribution. People, and not just in therapy, people in general, oh, I don't want to bother someone. I don't want to set up a coffee date with someone and bother them and talk about what I want to do. No, you're not bothering them. How you want to look at it, we're reframing the whole conversation. How you want to look at it is we have now identified what your brand is, what you're looking for, and specifically what you offer that people will pay for. It's your job now, bigger than just finding work. Your job now is to contribute your skill set to the world in your specific field. People need what you got, and you need to get out of the way. I had a, a student when I was a director of career development at Musicians Institute in Hollywood. Um, I had a student who was 17-year-old. He was a drummer, um, and... Uh, he was in a course of mine, and we discovered he smoked. He's 17 years old. He said, yeah, I've had breathing problems since I was 15. I said, you're ripping other people off. And he said, excuse me, w w what exactly do you mean? I said, beyond the health issue of smoking. I said, you came to this school, he was from Northern California, to improve your drumming skills so that people could share them and get joy from them correct? He said, yeah. I said, your smoking gets in the way of that because I play drums for 15 years and you need to be at peak performance level, peak physical level to play drums, particularly rock and roll. And you're ripping other people off. It's not about you. So when I do this with the clients I've been referred to, who've been referred to me by therapists, um, it's having them understand that they have certain gifts that other people need and whatever's in the way, whatever doubts they might have, whatever fears they might have, if it's important enough to them and they understand that they're going to do some good for other people, that it's not about them, they'll push through whatever they have to push through, including being shy, including paralyzing fear, all that stuff, because it's for other people. It's all about service to others. It sounds like what you're talking about is really helping them focus on what some people call the why. When we can really get down to 
why we're doing what we're doing, you're, you're really focusing on a community-based approach, which is we all have something to contribute and almost a fundamental human obligation to try to maximize that contribution, not necessarily for our own success, but um, in tandem with a greater contribution to society. Yes, it's exactly. Muhammad Ali said, service is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. And it really is about other people and collaborating with other people and that you have value, whether you're in therapy or not, you have value and other people need that. They need what you got. You can make an impact on other people. Um, and it's an extraordinary feeling once my patient, once my clients get a sense of that. It's like, wow, I can really do something here. I had a, a one student in my course um, I spoke in the course for about an hour and he was in the back of the room and he raised his hand and challenged me. He said, yeah, I get you've helped a lot of people and, you know, that's great. But he said, let's see if he can help me. He said, I was in the Marines for five years and then I was in prison for 35 years. And it wasn't for parking tickets. It was for murder. Um, he said, how are you going to find me a job? Well, it turned out that when he was in prison, um, he learned a program called AutoCAD, which is a design program for architecture, because in the prison, they were building new buildings and they needed someone who could specialize in AutoCAD to help them. And he'd become very good at it. And what I told him in terms of a target market, the sell part, the self-marketing part, was if he was a Marine for five years, you're never an ex-Marine that there are Marines around who have architectural firms and engineering firms who need a specialist in AutoCAD, and they don't really care all that much about your time in prison. Um, you've done your time. What they need is someone who specializes in AutoCAD. And he said, you've opened something up for me I never saw before. So it does give people hope, but not a false hope, a hope that's grounded, that I can really do this. And, the, and my clients eventually start to buy into this and own it. It's not me telling them, oh, you can do this and making them feel good. It's they can see in black and white, on paper, on a, on a screen, wow, I actually have these specific things I have that the market will pay for, and I can really make a difference in other people's lives. How cool is that? And it makes me feel so much better about myself. This is real. I can really do this. And then they start to get success. They start to land clients and jobs. And it's like, I, I can do this. This is terrific. Now they're in therapy. I just had a, actually a client a couple of weeks ago that the therapist referred to me. And he, he was a private client and took one of my courses and came back to her and said uh, that Dr. Austin inspired me. That's great. Now he gets to inspire himself and others. It sounds like there is some pretty obvious overlap then between what you're doing on the career aspect and what therapists and psychologists, drug counselors, whatever behavior health professionals are doing on their end. Because um, one way I've qualified it, or I guess quantified it, is actually uh, holders of hope that that our work as behavioral health clinicians is about supporting clients um, and holding on to the hope when maybe they can't see it, that it's going to get better, that the depression is going to lift, that they, um, they will get back on their feet again, that the meds are going to kick in, whatever it is, um, to help motivate them to keep trying. 
Um, and of course, there are tons of modalities we use to do that. We use things like motivational interviewing, and, and we have all these other wonderful evidence-based practices. But certainly as a therapist, I'm not specialized in job coaching, but it's something that I see coming up frequently as a real um, roadblock for certain clients. Um, when have you seen therapy and job coaching really work well together? So if a therapist referred to a job coach, what could the therapist do on their end to help support a positive outcome? Let me drop back one second and, and respond to something you just said. My approach is based on critical thinking. Critical thinking being simply the idea of getting from point A to point B and knowing how to do that. But my work is about critical thinking and action because the first part is awareness. So, and that happens in therapy a lot. I'm aware of what I need to do. My work uh, causes people to get into action and produce results. And I tell my patients, my, my clients, and my students, this is not about notes. This is not about more interesting information or theories. I want to see results. I want to see you get an action. Um, this uh, improves their self-confidence. I can actually do this. I'm not just thinking about it. I'm not just talking to my therapist about it. I see results. These are quantifiable results. They're real. I'm not making this up. I'm not thinking about it. I'm not discussing it. I'm doing something. And I got the interview. I got the client. I have a sense of what I want to do. I've met X number of people. I've made new contacts. I have interviews. I have meetings, etc., etc. This This aids the therapy enormously because now they have something to point to um, more than just their therapist assuring them everything's going to be fine. No, they actually did it. Them, I did this. I did this. I can point to this. Look, I did this. Here's this offer letter. Here's the check I got from the client. I did this. I can be a useful member of society. And it pushes back the, the a lot of the fear and anxiety and so on. Wow, I can really do this. I don't like it, but I can do it. This is great. This is what being an adult is. So it is about action and results. And the results they can take back to the therapist with them and go, I did this. I'm getting better. I got evidence now. So it's a matter of self-efficacy. Yes. It sounds like then for the therapist, what's really important is to get them to a place where they feel ready to, to even begin to take action, like going to talk to a career coach or buying books about it or doing online research. One thing that I've experienced is when they are in the throes of deep depression or other things, getting in the shower is insurmountable, let alone returning a phone call, mm -hmm. let alone making a, yeah, an appointment with a job coach or something else. So it sounds like on our end, it's getting them to a point, um, working with them, hopefully to a point of readiness and helping establish and reinforce their motivation for how this might kind of open up, open up their world and help them feel more mm -hmm. effective. Yeah. Wh how I work is you, you want to find your passion, but that's not enough. Uh, I coined a term called monetizable passion. You may love doing something, but you can't make a living at it. And you need to know the distinction. It doesn't make it any less valuable if you enjoy painting in, in watercolors. Huh? That's fine, but you maybe can't make a living at it. Perhaps the work you do is, and hopefully it's connected to the art world. So maybe you work in an art store, maybe you get a... Um, MFA, maybe you teach, maybe you do graphic design. And that allows you to the time, it buys you the time to paint watercolors at night and on the weekends. And if you sell some of them, fine. If you don't, that's fine too. 
So you need to know that distinction, number one. Number two, once you find that, mark, that monetizable passion, the first thing we do is we start at the end, which sounds odd. What's the goal? What do you want to do? Short-term, mid-term, long-term. And I find in any individual, if the goal is strong enough, they will do whatever it takes. They will push through the therapy. They will take the meds. They will learn another language. They will move. They will do whatever they have to do because the world needs what I got. Um, so it's first, it's first defining the goal specifically um, and then taking the steps that are needed to do that. So you need to get a certificate, you get a certificate. You need to get a degree, you get a degree. Um, and I tell them, I, I do everything I'm telling you to do. I wanted to teach. I was teaching at the college level. I wanted to teach at the university level. No one would talk to me without a doctorate. So I got a doctorate. And that got me to the next level. Um, it didn't mean I still, I didn't have to hustle. I could hustle at a new level. Um, so you do whatever you need to do. It's a combination of talent and drive. I use Madonna as an example. There are probably a million women who can sing better than she does, but she sings good enough and she has the business savvy and the marketing and the drive to be successful. You can do that too in your chosen field and have an impact on your market, on the people that you work with. I can see the overlap between what you're saying and actually the whole, you know, begin with the end in mind, because that's actually what we do in treatment planning uh, to make sure that if the overall goal is to reduce anxious symptoms, what are we doing as interventions in the interim to support that overall goal? And that's, that's why I think it's, it's really important for therapists to understand kind of this overlap between the job coaching world and the therapy world, because they're, they're different, but they have a lot of, um, a lot of similarities and make them complimentary. There, there's nothing like accomplishment to make you feel good about yourself, I've found. And that so aids in the therapy when they come back to the therapist and go, I found a client. I figured out what it is I can do. I met a whole bunch of people. I got work coming up. I feel good about myself. This is real. This isn't some fantasy anymore. And I'm getting whatever stuff that's been in the way out of the way because people really need me. I feel really good about myself in a real way, not just, ooh, I'm happy now. Um, I, I said some nice things to myself. No, I have quantifiable accomplishments. I did it and I can do more of it. And now I'm like, I, I could, I'm a winner. I can make this happen. I did it. I've done it before. I can do it. I can keep doing it and I can expand from there. There's no limit to what I can do. I think you touched on earlier one of the big themes that we see in the psychotherapy world right now, which is a conversation about shame and that our lack of occupational success can absolutely inspire shame because we're expected to be productive. We're expected to be employed. Yeah. And when we're not, that can be such an enormous roadblock. So I can see how helping these people toward their goals helps them further propel forward mm -hmm. in their lives so that they can find the employment they're wanting. But also from a therapeutic standpoint, if they're feeling effective in one domain, then that may carry over to other domains mm -hmm. to establish the relationships they're wanting to or to maybe make the big move that they want to make or whatever it is. So it, it's an overall um, kind of complementary action. Yeah, I, I can do this. I accomplish something. I make stuff happen. No, and not just talking anymore. I have evidence. I had a, a student of mine take me to lunch a couple of weeks ago as, as a follow-up to the course. And he's, he told me, he said, one of the things that was great about the course was you didn't point fingers at us. You didn't make us feel badly about ourselves. 
It was just the reverse. You gave us a, a grounded hope, to coin a term, where like, we could do this. And he said, I'm starting to do stuff. I'm actually starting to make this happen. And I can see it in their eyes um, that they, they now have a sense of positivism about themselves and the so aids the uh their work in therapy and the therapists work with them hey i did this what can i do next i'm i'm on a roll this is happening i can do it i'm someone um who who makes stuff happen and can continue to do so so when it comes to the kind of boots on the ground day-to-day as a job coach what do behavioral health clinicians need to know about what job coaching really looks like like what can somebody, if, if we refer out to a job coach, what can that client expect? What should we tell the client to expect? Well, I can tell you what they can expect from me. And my work is somewhat unique. Um, as I said, I'm a, a little ahead of the game. Um, they can, for me, they can go to my website, which is chazaustin.com. Uh, they can go to my LinkedIn page. They're, they have access to my two books. They have access to my three LinkedIn courses. They have access to the things I've written, um, access to uh, the testimonials I've gotten from former students and clients. So they can get a good sense of what's involved when they refer patients to me and what the patient can expect. Because it, it, this is, it's radical work and I want the therapist to be as prepared as possible. If not, actually deliver the work I do, have enough of a sense of what it is so they can introduce it in a friendly way to their patients so they'll um, or clients and okay I'll I'll give this guy a shot you think he's good yeah he can he can do it he can help you with job coaching in general when you get a referral how long does it usually take like how much time do you generally spend with somebody that isn't taking a course but what what could those of us across the country uh, that aren't in, in your area and we refer out to a job coach, what could we expect they'd be doing? Strangely, um, my work, I've, I've refined it to the point where uh, it's the, the principles are universal and simple at the same time. So it's generally three to four sessions, an hour long each. Um, and then at the, at the client's request or not, if they want to do follow-up, they can do that. And what I've often had as clients who've continued with me beyond the three or four sessions um, and work with me over a period of a year. And what we do is we meet once a month for sort of a pep talk um, and a chance to um, just polish the strategy or the tactics in what they're looking for and do a slight readjustment. Um, and that's that's all it takes because once they once they get a sense of what their brand is, how to articulate it, how to sell it, and they buy into that, it's almost like they can walk through walls. They are, I'm going to make this happen now. Whatever I have to do, I'm going back to school. I'm going to learn another language. I'm going to improve my software skills, whatever it happens to be, because I am going to do this. Not I want to do this. I am going to do this. I will do whatever I have to. This is going to happen. And that improves the self-confidence. And then I'm sort of, in, as a therapist said to me once, I'm in the back seat. They're doing the driving. I'm just along for the ride and helping them steer a bit like like a, a, a living Waze app. Um, but they kind of know where they're going. So and, it's really generally pretty short term and solution focused work. Um, and if so, if we have therapists who are listening that are looking for job coaches that they can refer their clients to locally, it's a matter of those therapists keeping in mind that this should be short-term, that it should be solution-focused, mm-hmm. and that 
that the work between therapists and job coaches could be complementary instead of it being kind of these two siloed specializations? Oh, no, they're absolutely complementary. Um, and again, I don't cross that line. I'm not a therapist and not trained to be. Um, but it is results oriented. Um, it is about taking action. Um, it is about uh, producing results um, that the, the client can see. And there, you can't deny it. it I did this. No kidding. This is real. This happened. And I made it happen. And I can continue to do so. So one thing that some therapists often do in session is a role play. And many of us have done role plays about hard conversations with a boss, with, uh, with an attorney, with, with a spouse, if you're practicing how to bring something up. What are some really practical pieces of advice that you have for therapists who might be doing just an interview role play with clients? Um, in, in the absence of formal job coaching, what are some things that therapists might not be thinking about during this conversation that you think could be game changers to bring up in a role play? In terms of coaching clients, that's a bit of a tough one for therapists because what they're coaching them in is how to interview. And strangely enough, I do coach my clients in interviewing skills and at the same time tell them to avoid the formal interview when at all possible. And therapists are still because they're not job coaches, they're back in the 20th century teaching about the formal interview. And you want to avoid that because people hire who they know and trust. And if you interview with me, if I have a job or I need, you know, I, I need to, to hire you uh, as, a, as an independent contractor, um, I'm not going to know you in 45 minutes. I'm just not. You may be a good actor. You may have some issues that I can't perceive. And as good as you think you may have done, I'm going with someone I know already, someone I've worked with already, someone I've done volunteer work or with already, someone who's been referred by someone I trust. So your job is to meet me. It's to take that side door. The, the front door is filled with resumes no one's reading. The side door is the associations, is the referrals, is the volunteer work so that we already know each other and there is no formal interview. It's not necessary. I already know you. I'm not going to ask you all those funky and sometimes insulting questions about if you were a vegetable, what kind of vegetable would you be? If you were uh, part of a salad, what part of a salad would you be? If you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? These are real questions I ask to throw you off and they're insulting. And if we already know each other and I like you and I trust you, I'm not going to, that would be insulting to ask you that. We're basically going to talk about when can you start? And I know your rate already and you know what I pay. And can you come in at nine on Monday or maybe 830? Would that, that would actually be better for me. And it's that simple. Um, therapists are just still trained. I don't, uh, my job is not to train therapists, but, but therapists are still trained in the formal interview process. And that does, doesn't do you a whole lot of good. One of my mantras is always take the interview, always take the meeting because it's good practice, but do not expect to find a job that way. Uh, I have uh, one friend who actually uh, is a therapist who was up for a job at a, a directorship at a leading university, and she interviewed for 12 hours in one day, just one person, two people, three people, and she didn't get the job after all that. It's just, it's so frustrating and it's almost like they try to wear you down, not the way to go. And so I can't expect therapists to uh, change how they do this because all they know, like most people, is the formal interview. And my job is to train you for that and then tell you to avoid it. 
Got it. Okay. So, so if we're changing the thinking from the formal interview, it sounds like then the piece that therapists could assist with would be relationship building and, um, how, how to be an active listener. Um, what lets another person know based on your body language, whether or not you're paying attention or you like what you're hearing. It sounds like those are the kind of role plays that maybe we should be focusing on, not how to answer where do you see yourself in five years? Yes. Yes. That's because it is all relationship and that, that really comes from therapy. Um, it's relationship and collaboration and people knowing you and liking you and trusting you. And if where you're coming from as a job candidate or someone who's looking for clients is someone who really is passionate about what they do, knows how to express that, knows to be in front of the right people in order to express that, people who'd be interested. Um, that's, that's what matters. That's, that's where a, a therapist can make or a counselor can make a real difference in the work I do and the work for their clients and, and patients. Got it. So one thing that you've talked with me privately about is something called self-marketing. Um, tell me more about this and, and what do therapists need to understand about that when their clients are attempting to self-market? I'm realizing as we're speaking, uh, I almost do have to train therapists in this, in this whole new way of thinking. It's a contextual shift. What I teach is context, not content. It's a different way to think about this. Um, but um, ask me the question again. What do therapists need to understand about self-marketing? Um, it's really understanding the nature of the gig economy. And it goes back to the, the whole idea of uh, understanding what your brand is um, and targeting the people who would be interested in what you have. Uh, the, one of the best examples I have is um, I take my dog to a dog park. And a few months ago, there's a woman standing outside of the dog park at the entrance, at the gate, um, handing out flyers. And the flyers were for dog walking. Hello, that's, that's self-marketing. That's target marketing, which go hand in hand. Who would be interested in someone who uh, is a dog walker? People who own dogs. And that's, that's, it's a different mindset. Um, therapists have to understand this, and obviously their, their clients do as well. Uh, what, it is, what is it that you offer and who would be interested? So you, you, don't, go to, you don't go in front of a supermarket um, if, you're, if you're handing out flyers for dog walkers and hope a, someone might walk by. You go where the action is, so to speak, where the target market is, who would be interested. So that's, that's self-marketing. is, And you're not marketing yourself as an individual as much as you're, you're, you're marketing your brand, your skill set, the things you offer, not you as an individual as much, although that's part of it, um, but what you offer to people who would be interested. Oh, you do, you do accounting? That's great. I had, I had one student uh, became a client who uh, he was, uh, he did tax work and spoke Spanish. So what, what he did was, at my suggestion, he created a website and he's targeting, and he's targeting people who need help with their taxes, which is everybody, but specifically people who speak Spanish who need help with their taxes. The tax code is difficult enough for people who, who have English as a first language. Imagine the difficulty trying to understand it and 
your native language is Spanish. So that's the market he's going after. And those are people who would be interested because he has the expertise, he's licensed by the IRS, and he speaks Spanish. He speaks our language, so to speak, if, I, if I'm Spanish speaking. And if that's where the personality and the relationship comes in, he's going to meet these people and going to say, I like this guy. Because so much of what we do is about, are, are you someone I like? Are you someone I trust? Are you someone I can get along with? Because there are other people who can do similar things to what you can do. Why you? I like her. She's, she's, she's great. She's easy to get along with. She's easy to talk to. She listens well. Um, and she understands what I need. So in addition to that and kind of the self-marketing piece, when do you think therapists should refer out to a job coach? Like at what point? Because goodness knows we have clients that maybe are unemployed or underemployed. At what point in time in that conversation is it like, okay, you know, now I'm wading into territory that I, I need somebody else to, to come in and take the baton? My sense is that therapists going to know. Okay. They're just going to get a sense of like, this is a missing piece now. Back to the boy, you're you're squirming in your seat. You're having. You told me you have trouble with your back, and you're not here today. It's like you you're your back, okay? I, I you're you're not paying attention to what we're doing because because you're so obviously in discomfort here. Let's go get you to an orthopedic surgeon and handle that, and then we can then we can focus more on the therapy. So I think a therapist is going to sense that uh, that boy this this work thing that's that's. This is a hill we really need to climb at this point because um, we're stuck. The patient, my client, is stuck. Um, we, we need to turn them over to a specialist and get this handled. And then when they're on their way there, they can focus more on the therapy, on the underlying stuff, on the deep stuff. To change directions just a little bit, I know from our previous conversations in your work, uh, you see sometimes therapists struggle with their own self-marketing um, because many of us are not trained in business. We, we are trained in relationships and that's part of business, but things like starting a private practice or finding employment at the university level, things like that, those are challenges. To briefly touch on it today, what are some pieces of advice that you have for therapists that are in private practice or are looking to expand their work into other domains? Therapists, like like most everyone, um, have been shortchanged by the educational system, where you're trained to be a therapist, but the the missing part, which is being a business person, is never taught. Um, so I I actually have done a lot of work uh, with therapists. I'm um, I've done talks, presentations um, to uh, social workers, to a group of social workers. Um, my wife is a therapist and she's the president of the California Society for Clinical Social Work. And she saw that need. Um, and it's the same thing for MFTs. It's the same thing for chemists. It's the same thing for financial students. My doctoral dissertation was about embedding a career course program into a college curriculum with a series of mandatory courses because this is missing, that, that marketing piece, the business piece. So specifically for therapists, they're not trained in this. It's a complete blind spot. They don't know how to find a job. They don't know how to start a practice. This is all a mystery to them because they were wonderfully trained as therapists, but they left out the business piece. Um, it's like the, a car without keys. <laughs> it's a great car, but you can't get it going. 
Um, so uh, it's 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 the same process. Again, the work I do is universal and simple. It works for therapists as well. So we talk about them um, rather than their patients in this case. Um, they, you have to understand what your brand is. There are lots of therapists, obviously. There are lots of MFTs, LCSWs, whatever, um, or social workers, depending on the state, uh, whatever the license happens to be. And you have to understand what makes you special and different and how to articulate that and how to get in front of your target market. Who would hire you given your specialty as a therapist or series of specialties as a therapist? Um, I had actually a woman in a course um, who was a therapist. She was from Japan and her specialty was dealing with children. Well, that's a brand. She speaks Japanese. So um, I said, you want to target the Japanese market because there are Japanese parents who need therapists and if I'm a therapist, but I don't speak Japanese, I'm less likely to get work from them because we, we're we not part of the same tribe. So you, you want to go for the low-hanging fruit. Who are the people who would be most interested in what you do and what you offer? So if you part of it is an alumni association you may belong to, um, that uh, the, the people in that alumni association will refer to you because you both went to whatever school it happens to be. That's a tribe. So therapists, it's the same process. They, they have to wake up to the idea that they are a business, uh, whether they're working for an agency or not, or they have their own practice. And how do they uh, keep the word out there to the people who would be interested specifically in what they offer? Who's the market? So really, it's <coughs> applicable to both sides, to therapists helping clients and also to therapists building their own practices, whatever that, that may be, whatever their specializations or their career focus may be. It's a matter of really targeted marketing and understanding self as brand. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And it, it, again, therapists who are working for other therapists, working for agencies, having their own practice, or anyone... And as I said, ages 14 to 80, everybody needs this. I'll always have work because everybody needs this. It's like the whole workforce got blindsided by this change. Um, so this is something you have to embrace and understand. It's much like smartphones. Before the, the, the iPhone be, was first introduced in 2007, before that, no one knew how to use a smartphone. It didn't exist. Now pretty much everyone does. We learned it because we had to. The economy changed. It's a gig economy. You have to learn to self-market. This is another skill, just like knowing how to use a computer, a laptop, uh, a smartphone. It's another skill you have to learn. When it comes to working with adolescent or young adult clients, as many of us do, what are some things that we need to keep in mind as behavioral health professionals for people who are just starting their careers? Uh, not individuals that are already set in some certain interest or certain education. I've worked with a lot of younger people, as I say, from 14, high schoolers, um, and have done a lot of work over the years in higher education with college students um, who are about to start their careers. And I cannot count how many have said, listen, I'll deal with the career stuff once I'm done with all my coursework. No. Wrong, and that's the fault of the colleges and universities. This should be introduced really in, in middle school, but at least in, in freshman year, so they start having a marketing sensibility. 
Um, so again, the, the conversation isn't a lot different. And frankly, working with younger people is easier because they don't have all the old habits and they're not grounded in, I'm supposed to have a job. They, they knock millennials for being entitled. And I, I find the most entitled people are people who have been in the workforce for many years and feel that they deserve a job and that, uh, ageism, which is real, isn't, isn't right. And they should, people should respect their experience. Well, they don't. So younger people are actually easier to work with because they're much more receptive to, oh, this is a, a kind of different way. I, I'm not entrenched in the old stuff. I heard about resumes and I know I have to do one, but this is cooler. I get this. This is better. And actually, in terms of my lifestyle, I prefer it that I'm not locked into one employer. So uh, they embrace it more easily and more quickly, and they're actually easier to work with. So what you're saying is kind of catch it when they're young in order to help inspire some kind of internal conversations about what career aspirations might be, what skills somebody is bringing to the table. So instead of it being finished education and find a job, it's have this conversation maybe even before you've started mm -hmm. that higher education so that you can make strategic moves to develop your brand as it's happening instead of after the fact and then trying to market that yes, package. Yes, exactly. It, it's introducing a new conversation. But the, because they're young, the conversation isn't on top of all the old conversations that they now believe are true. This is the way it is. No, this is the way it was. If you're young, I don't have to, I don't have to insert a new conversation on top of the old ones and get, and get rid of the old ones or uh, disabuse you of these fantasies that may have worked in the past but no longer do. So um, it's, it's a real joy working with younger people because they get it right away. And they're like, gung-ho, let's do this. Not, uh, you know, I, I'm supposed to, or I always was able to, or I should, or all this stuff. They're not carrying all that baggage with them. So it makes it much easier to work with them. Got it. So it's, I, so in your world, it's, it's really helpful when you're working with people who are open-minded to the fact that, that it is a gig economy and that the game has changed. And for us as therapists, it's helpful to understand even what that is so that maybe we're not encouraging them to do things that are actually sending back their careers, not forwarding them. This is natural for them. They understand this. This fits in with how they've been living. They don't, they, they don't have a history of, of years and years of working with a company, and they don't particularly like it either. This is like, this is cool. This is a strategy based on what I'm already kind of doing. This isn't foreign to me. Whereas older people, it's like, oh my God, this is, this is a, a sea change. And for them, it is. For younger people, it's like, wow, this is really cool. You bring up an important point, though, about a sea change. And that that's another thing for therapists to keep in mind. That, that this new way of thinking is coming up against this older way of thinking that we've been programmed about doing your resume and sending it out and, and having a really strong cover letter. And it's just getting lost in these websites or in an email mm -hmm. inbox somewhere. Um, and I think that's part of the importance of this conversation is like understanding how this kind of new world is impacting our clients and then how it's going to invariably impact therapy. If therapists are saying to clients, okay, let's role play that formal interview. You're saying, no, get past the formal interview. Try not to do it. I mean, take it if you can get it. But you're saying develop the relationships elsewhere. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind as behavioral health professionals. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So 
we've covered a lot of content today. Um, tell me again, tell our listeners a little bit more about how they can learn more about you and about your work. And, um, and thank you for your time in, in talking about this really important conversation today, Dr. Austin. Pleasure. And I, I'm doing what I always talk to my clients and my students about. It's about service. And I hope I've been of service and a contribution to the therapists who are, are listening to this. Um, how they can reach me, how they can work with me, either they themselves or their clients. Again, chazaustin.com, C-H-A-Z-A-U-S-T-I-N.com, which has tons of information about what I've done. You can see me in action. You can see what people have said. You can see what I've written. Um, they can also go to LinkedIn Learning. I have three courses under Dr. Chaz about how to find, keep, and leave a job. It's over three hours of material that I wrote and deliver. Um, I have two books, both available on Amazon.com. Just look under Dr. Chaz Austin, willing to work with people face to face or virtually via Skype or any any of the similar programs. Um, I'm here to help. Um, and this is, again, something I evangelize for and would be happy to work with anyone I can and help them along in their lives and their careers. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Austin. Thank you. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.